How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back to the show, everybody, and I am so happy to have you guys back. I'm the host, Vukia Tran, and you are listening to How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast. This episode is sponsored by Aligned Best Student Housing REIT, ASH REIT is a private REIT focused on consolidating the highly fragmented, purpose-built student accommodation sector in Canada. Over three years, Ash REIT acquired 10 high-quality properties with 4,200 beds valued at $550 million. Ash REIT has a proven track record and demonstrated resiliency and stability through the pandemic delivering an annualized return of 10.5% to investors, including an attractive tax-efficient distribution of 5.3% paid monthly. The principal at Ashreet is Sanjil Shah. Sanjil is the managing partner of Vest Student Housing REIT. He is a CPA, so an accountant, and has almost 20 years of experience in real estate and investment management, having previously built one of Canada's largest self-storage real estate businesses. Sanjil is also a managing partner of Vest Management Corporation, a private investment firm. If you want additional information, it's available at AlignVestStudentHousing.com. It is my pleasure to invite Sanjil to this podcast today because we're going to be talking about real estate investment trust, or also known as REITs. We're going to try to dig deep and dive deep into what are REITs, what do they do, how they function, how do we invest in it, and all the pros and cons of investing in a REIT. There are many ways to invest in real estate. One of them is ownership of a residential property. It could be ownership in a multifamily property. It could be ownership in industrial property. And it could also be investing in a product such as a REIT. There are a lot of ways to invest in the real estate game. Here, we address one of them. Welcome back to How's My Financial Health Doc podcast. And it's a pleasure for me to invite you back to listen to a very, very important topic. More recently, we have engaged in topics that discusses different types of investments. Now, as you know, I'm, uh, I, I like to talk a lot about financial planning and financial strategy, but we must also address investments. And one of these investments is not just, you know, uh, equity, stocks, bonds. We should talk about real estate. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier in my previous podcast, healthcare professionals, especially, but I, I would say everybody, love to invest in real estate. It seems to be one of those golden child real estate type of uh, products out there. But if I want to invest in real estate, do I necessarily have to buy a home, a house, 
an apartment building? Do I have to own that, like the, the actual physical asset? Are there other ways we can also play in real estate? And obviously, if I asked it that way, the answer is yes. So we can play in real estate in many, many different fashions. And one of them is through a REIT, a real estate investment trust. And so to answer this question, I have an expert with me today. I have Sanjil Shah. Sanjil is a CPA, so an accountant with lots of knowledge in accounting, but also in investment and finance. So who else better than Sanjil to explain to us what REITs are? To that end, Sanjil, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, things that I did not mention in our introduction, things that are interesting that we should know about you. Uh, for sure. I uh, started my career as an accountant, as you mentioned, spent uh, eight years working at one of the uh, largest public accounting firms. And uh, uh, about 15, uh, 17 years ago, I had a chance to become an entrepreneur. You know, it was a pivotal moment for me to decide if I want to leave public accounting and, uh, and you know, decide whether I want to be a partner in an accounting firm or want to be an entrepreneur and try and build something from scratch. I chose the latter path, chose to become an entrepreneur and got started in real estate, building a self-storage business, learned how to be an entrepreneur, learned a lot about real estate uh, and specifically, you know, learned uh, how to grow a business from scratch. And so, you know, not only did I get a chance to start a business from scratch, see it scale up, but also got to see the end result, uh, the exit, the sale. Thank you very much for uh, uh, sharing that with us. I think what you just told me is that one, you've got a lot of experience in real estate. Uh, you've got a lot of experience in entrepreneurship and you yourself is an investor. So what we're gonna try to find out today is if I'm an investor and I want to look at REITs, real estate investment trusts, who should I ask this question? There's no better person than Sanjo right now because you've done it. So let's answer a little bit this question. What is an REIT? we talked about different ways of investing in real estate. So maybe just a little snapshot of how you see in investment in real estate is. And in your mind, what are the different types of ways we can invest in real estate? Obvious REITs, but what else? For sure, for sure. So like if, if you think about it, stepping back, the, the simplest way to invest in real estate is to go buy it, right? You can, you know, if, you have, if you've been saving money and uh, you know, you've saved a little bit, and you decide to go buy, you know, let's say you go buy a condo in downtown Toronto. Uh, on MLS, you find your condo, we'll put your down payment, close it, get arrange your mortgage, find your tenant, run it. And, and that's kind of the simplest way. Or, you know, maybe if you get a little bit more capital, you'll go buy a, a commercial unit or a multiplex, right? And so that's obviously one way, direct ownership. The pro is you own it. It's your, your property. The con is you own it. You have to run it. Right. So, uh, so it goes both ways. And, you know, it, it, in, when you have direct ownership of real estate, the biggest challenge is that your, your exposure is to that one individual property or asset, right? So if something goes wrong, if you, if you pick a city where real estate collapses, or if your tenant disappears and it's hard to release it, you're stuck with that, uh, that property because that's your, uh, that's your exposure. So that's one way to do it. And a lot of people like to do that. They, they like to have their hands on their property. Another way to do it is to have, uh, invest in a closed-end fund. And what that means is that you pool together your money with in, in either a professional partnership or with some friends and you go buy a couple of properties, right? And, uh, and that's okay too, because now you have a pool of assets and, and you're sharing the risk with other people and perhaps sharing it across different properties. The challenge with those types of structures is that how do you get out? 
you know, let's say you need your money because you, uh, you know, you've lost your job or, or you want to go on vacation or your child's going to university and you need to pay for their expenses. The problem with those types of investments is uh, the only time you can get your money out really is when the property is sold. And maybe, you know, maybe everybody has a different time horizon or different expectation. So it doesn't always wind up. And typically, you know, those types of structures talk about a five to seven year investment horizon and which may or may not work for, for everybody. So that's kind of option two. Option three is investing in a REIT or an open-ended structure. And what that means is really, you know, you ask what's a REIT? A REIT is a real estate investment trust. The trust is a unitized fund that uh, allows investors to come in from different accounts. Uh, you know, so in Canada, you can come in through your regular investment account. You can come in from a registered account, like an RSP, RESP, TFSA account, and you're buying units of a fund. And so what that means is that everybody's got uh, an ownership in units, not in the direct real estate that underlies it. And then the manager of the REIT will go buy the real estate property on behalf of the unit holders. And, and the reason why a REIT is uh, more flexible is it allows people to come in and out on a regular basis. So, you know, you may, you may have uh, some money now, you may have more money later, and you may want to keep investing in this vehicle as it grows and performs and demonstrates its success. And investing in a REIT lets you keep doing that where you don't have to do all your, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket up front and you're not stuck for years and years because the other aspect of a REIT is that you can redeem out. If you need your money, you can take it out when you need it to, you know, to fund your lifestyle expenses. So it allows a lot more flexibility. And of course, you don't directly own the assets and it's not a closed fund, but it's, uh, it gives you that same underlying real estate exposure. Now, you also mentioned something that is very important. You're not exposed to one asset. You are buying units of a fund that owns many assets. So I think that's the, the important point here is that you owned a piece of something. So a, a, a unit of a portfolio that may potentially like in your read, in your case, 4,200 units, right? 4,200 uh, beds, etc. And so if you grow, if your business grows or the REIT grows, then it could be millions and millions of potentially beds and units. And so you own shares and units of funds in that larger portfolio. Absolutely. And you know what you'll hear a lot in investing, the concept of diversification, right? Uh, you know, uh, you can diversify in different types of stocks, different types of bonds, uh, and, and diversifying within a real estate strategy is no different. In our case, we do student housing. So we're diversified across different universities. We don't have the risk of any one university. We have properties that serve five different markets across the country. And, and that gives us uh, strong diversification where if any one university uh, is challenged, not growing the same way we would like, not attracting international students, then we, can, we know that we're effectively hedging our exposure across a platform, across a basket of different opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of colleagues who have, you know, teenage children or adult children who are going to university. In one example, they bought a condo or a, an apartment just, uh, you know, next to Western University in London. And then so their kid went there and studied there. But after, after that, well, the, the, the child, you know, moved back to the GTA 
and now they're figuring out what to do with that unit, right? So if you're a, a sole, if you are ownership, a direct ownership of that unit, you now have to manage that, uh, the good and the bad. Whereas with a REIT, you can, you have, you're managed, you're, you're, you're just an owner of a, of a share of a bigger portfolio and you can come in, go out whenever you please. Absolutely. I think there are a couple of things to that to unpack in what you said. First of all, you know, when, when you buy or you sell, there are costs incurred, right? Uh, there's the real Absolutely. estate commission and transfer tax. And, you know, those things can quickly eat into your profit. And, you know, you're, when you buy, you know, over the last few years, it hasn't been so much of a concern because property values have just been going up and up and up. But, you know, if property values stay flatline or, or come down at some point, you know, it may not be the opportune time for you to sell. Uh, and that's where a lot of real estate investors get caught flat footed. Uh, you know, secondly, if, you know, in the case of your friend who's bought a unit next to Western University, uh, you know, the, the students, students only come in on September 1, right, when the school year starts. And so if your friend who, who may, I'm assuming lives in the Toronto area, if he's not able to rent his unit for September 1, then what? Does that mean that that unit is going to be vacant for the next you know, school year? Because the reality in, in our business is that no student is homeless. You know, once the school year starts, everybody's found a place to live. And so that's part of the challenge of uh, having direct ownership. Uh, you have to, you have to pay, pay attention. You have to make sure that you're there. You have to make sure you filled it. You know, we're now kind of at the end of July. If, if your friend hasn't filled his unit right now, he's only got like five weeks left before he can fill it. And so that's really where we're investing in a, in a REIT where we've got diversified exposure. We don't have to worry about filling every single bed, right? Once we, you know, once we get to around 90% occupancy, we know that we've got a good core base of tenants. And if we don't fill every last bed, it's okay. And, and I, and I want to stress one more point as well, being in ownership of a, of a unit, the toilet breaks down, I need to go and drive there, which is not something uh, I want to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, when we, in our, in our properties, we have maintenance staff, right? When, when we've got 4,200 beds, we've got our own maintenance teams who can go and fix these issues real time. Uh, we also have scale, so we can contract with local firms, handyman and contractors and construction firms who, who will come to our buildings first because they know that there's recurring business there. Thank you for explaining what a REIT is. Now, this is a REIT in real estate directly per se, but there are other REITs that play in the finance of real estate, uh, which is not what you guys do, but those also exist. Uh, that's how also you can play in real estate where they have REITs of different finance companies or even mix, we call them mix. I think they're called mortgage investment corporation. Some of them are also REITs as well. Again, same idea is that uh, they are you buy units of funds that invest in lending money for real estate absolutely so you know the REIT is a is a trust right so it's a uh, it's a mutual fund trust and once the money has been invested in the REIT the REIT will do whatever is in its mandate to do from an investment perspective you know some REITs will will lend their funds out to other real estate strategies to to earn mortgage interest income so, you know, there's different types of income that can be generated by a REIT. Uh, the key thing as an investor is you have to pay attention to what kind of income is being earned by the REIT because it all flows through. So if you're earning mortgage income, mortgage, that's interest income, that will be taxed as ordinary income. If you're earning real estate income from the underlying rents, then that's rental income. So you just have to pay attention to what kind of a REIT are you invested in and what kind of income is it generating and passing through to you on your T3 at the end of the year. So I think that is actually a very good segue to lead us into 
structures. So uh, how is a REIT structure in general? Yeah, for sure. So in, in our case, it's simple. We buy our properties. The investors will contribute money into the REIT. They will get back units. The money that they have contributed represents on average about 35% of the value of the assets. And when I say that, what I mean is we pay 35% equity and 65% mortgage financing. So the REIT investors effectively have leverage built into their exposure. About one, one third is equity, two thirds is debt. And we go buy buildings with, the, with this money. Uh, and then it's very simple. It's, you know, the buildings will generate rental income and they incur operating expenses. Then there's a net operating income remaining after the operating expenses have been paid. That net operating income gets used to pay the debt service. So on that 65% mortgage financing, we have to pay both the principal and the interest. There may be capital expenditures being incurred from time to time. You know, if we're doing renovations, upgrades, expansions, those are capital expenditures. That's not part of your operating income, but it reduces the cash flow that's available for investors. And then whatever is left is the pool of money that can be distributed out to investors. You know, in our case, what we do is uh, after deducting the operating expenses, your debt service and your capital expenditures, we're able to generate a return of just over 5% distribution that's paid out to the investors. Now, what's, what's really interesting about real estate is real estate depreciates. Uh, and what that means is that for tax purposes, you're allowed to claim a capital cost allowance, uh, a depreciation. That's not a cash cost. That's just saying that the value of the property, the building itself is diminishing every year. So the CRA lets you capture a depreciation or, or CCA cost. And, and because in a REIT structure, it's a trust flows through to the investor, the distribution we make is the actual cash that's available. But from a tax perspective, when you get your T3 form at the end of the year, that distribution gets to be shielded by the tax depreciation. That's really what makes a, a REIT quite a powerful investment structure because in our case, all the money we distribute out to our investors gets fully shielded by CCA and the investors really pay no current tax. It's all considered a return of capital. That's the power of, of really any type of real estate investment is the ability to shield your income with CCA. So I want to stress that point a little bit. So the fact that it's coming back to us as a return of capital, it is not, retur- it is not coming back to us as rental income per se, it is not returned to us as salary. It is not returned to us as dividends. They're not taxed in the same way because it is a return of capital and not an income. Correct? Absolutely. So let, let me just unpack that a little bit to, to make sure everybody understands what that means. Let's say you invest $100 to buy a unit of our REIT. And at the end of the year, we give you back uh, a 5.3%, let's just use round numbers. We give you back a 5% return and distribution. That means we gave you $5 in cash. Well, that $5 in cash is the net operating income that's generated by the property. But because the building is being depreciated, that $5 effectively becomes zero income on your tax return. So you get $5 of cash, but there's no current tax payable. From a tax perspective, what happens is because it's considered a return of capital, what that means is the $100 that you invested gets adjusted to $95. So your adjusted cost base is now $95. And what that means is that let's say next year you go and sell your REIT unit because REIT units can be redeemed. 
So let's say next year you go and sell your REIT unit for uh, maybe it's done well and you can sell it for $110. Well, you originally paid $100 for your REIT unit, but because the adjusted cost base is 95, uh, remember you got $5 of cash back. That means that when you go and sell your REIT unit for $110, you have $15 of gain and that gets taxed as a capital gain by the CRA. And the reason why that's so powerful is capital gains only get taxed at 50%. And so you took something that could have been an ordinary income tax at you know 50% plus marginal rate, and you've turned it into a capital gain, which gets taxed at half your normal rate. How, uh, what are the different types of REIT? Because I understand in speaking with you that there are different types of REIT. There are private REITs, there are REITs that I can buy on the stock market. There are REITs that I can purchase from your company. Like it's all very confusing. Can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, in general, there are two types of streams. There are uh, the publicly traded REITs uh, and then there are private REITs. The biggest difference is the publicly traded REITs operate just like any sort of public share of a company, right? They will do an IPO, the units will be trading, and you're buying your units on the stock exchange. What that means is that you're buying at whatever the value of the unit is, and you're effectively buying from somebody who is selling. Let's say you own 100 units of a, of a REIT, and you want to sell your 100 units, and I want to buy 100 units, we would do it on the TSX or a stock exchange, and that's how it's done. The transaction is between shareholders, between you and me has nothing to do with the company, right? The company has done their IPO, that's when they made their money, and then they're kind of out of the picture. The difference in a private REIT is you're transacting with the company. What you're doing is when, when you wanna go buy 100 REIT units, you have to go see what is the company selling units for? And, and that company would be doing that because they're raising money uh, from time to time, sometimes continuously, sometimes when they have a transaction, and they're raising money at the then fair market value that they want to go and attract capital from. So, you know, in a private REIT structure, it's not a transaction between the unit holders. I'm not going to buy your units. I'm going to go buy the units from the company themselves. Likewise, if you want to go sell your units, you would go redeem them or return them to the company and the company would pay you whatever they're willing to pay you at that time. So those are the two different mechanisms. Now, you know, the obvious question is, well, which should you do invest in? What's better? What's worse, right? And, and there are pros and cons to both. So in a publicly traded REIT, the biggest benefit as an investor is liquidity. You can get in or out whenever you want. Uh, and you don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to worry about what's the company gonna do? Are they raising money? Are they willing to give me back my money? Now, the negative is uh, publicly traded REIT units or all shares that are publicly traded are subject to volatility. And you know, the best example I can give you is if we look at what happened in 2020, when the pandemic first broke, almost every publicly traded REIT unit had a big sharp dip, right? And, uh, and they've all recovered, thankfully. Uh, but uh, if you were invested in public REITs last March and April, there was a little bit of panic setting in, right? When the, when the markets tanked and, and you're like, wow, what's going on? Uh, why is this down 20, 30%? Uh, in a private REIT, you don't have that fluctuation. You don't have that volatility because, you know, in our case and in the case of most uh, private REITs, the valuations are set by a valuator. So in our case, we use Cushman and Wakefield, uh, you know, a nationally recognized valuation firm. They come in and give us a valuation on our buildings on a quarterly basis. 
and they ignore what's happening, the market noise, right? They, they don't look at the stock markets. They look at the actual building itself. The, you know, the, the building doesn't go up and down 20, 30% at a time. The building value is driven by the net op operating income it's generating and uh, the cap rates that are relevant in that market. And, and that is much more stable than what you see in the public markets. Uh, and then there are a few other, few other aspects, right? A private REIT can be more uh, efficient uh, because you don't have the public company expenses, right? A public company is expensive to maintain and run. You have all of the disclosure requirements, the quarterly financial statements, the annual financial statements, the public company filing fees. And anytime you do an IPO or do a raise, you have to pay the underwriters lots of money, right? Five, 6% is paid out to the underwriters. So in a private REIT structure, you get to eliminate or avoid a lot of those expenses and keep it much more efficient for your investors. But there are pros and cons. If, you, if you're somebody who needs liquidity and, and wants to know what your investment is worth at any given time, a public REIT is probably for you. Another way that I look at it as well is in a public REIT, it's like a stock, right? It goes up, it goes down. Today, it's worth 50 cents. Tomorrow, it's worth 60 cents. And if I decide to sell tomorrow, then I got 60 cents per share. But if I sold it today, I only got 50 cents per share, right? Whereas in a private REIT, it doesn't work that way. My share is, or my unit is worth a dollar. If I sold today, it's still worth a dollar. And tomorrow, it's still worth a dollar, right? And so very much, so if I look at, you know, private REIT, the way they are structured and function, it's more like a fixed income than a, a uh, sort of a equity type of, of product. I, I would say, I, 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 would, I would caution against saying it's like a fixed income because uh, the investors are still expecting to see uh, a return on their investments. So, you know, you're, you're getting the distribution, but you're also hoping that there's property appreciation, right? If, if I do a good job as a manager of our private REIT, what you want me to do is grow the income every year. And, and the way that the REIT gets valuated by the appraiser is they take the income that I'm generating, divide it by the cap rate uh, to come up with the valuation. So if I, you know, if, if I buy a building and the building is generating $100 of income uh, at a 5% cap rate, and a year later, I've done a good job and increased the income by, you know, by 5% to 105, it's now $105 divided by a 5% cap rate. So the value has increased. And you simply take the value divided by the number of units and, and everybody's per unit value will go up. The flip side is also true. If I do a bad job or, you know, let's say, you know, in my business, let's say in an extreme, all of the schools were going to be online for another year and no kids came back to live in our buildings and we're generating no income. Thankfully, that's not true. But let's assume something like that happened. You know, in our case, the income would go down. You divide the lower income by the number of units and the valuation is much less. So when you talk about valuation, I just want people to understand, we're talking about the net asset value, right? We're talking about the NAV. So if I buy one unit of one REIT, today the NAV or the net asset value, let's say it's a dollar. Units worth a dollar, I get a 5.3% return, percent return, right? So that's what I get. But if I sell that share right now today, I would get my dollar back. But you do a good job. The reader is doing a good job. And three years from now, I decide, you know what? I'm done. I want to cash out. But the NAV is now worth 1.5 or $1.50. So when I sell my units, my units are now worth $1.50 as opposed to a dollar. 
But during these three years, I still got my 5.3% monthly or yearly return based on what the, the agreement is. So the, the 5.3 yield is what I was referring to as the fixed uh, income. Yes. Uh, uh, so, and so and the NAV was the appreciation. Absolutely. So we should just uh, clarify a couple of things, right? And, uh, a REIT typically does not guarantee the distribution, unlike a fixed income where it's a fixed return. In a REIT, uh, because the distribution is based on our income, uh, it's just whatever is available. In our case, the distribution currently is 5.3%. Our objective is actually to grow that return over time. Let's say, you know, let's say interest rates go up dramatically and you know, we have to pay more to pay for our mortgages. There may be less income available. Or, or conversely, if, uh, if interest rates, you know, interest rates are at a historic lows right now. Uh, so we've been aggressively refinancing our properties. And, and that allows us to grow the distribution. The, the distribution in a, in a REIT is not fixed. I'm glad you made that difference. To that, to that question, for most typical REITs, how often would, would a REIT adjust their yield? Is it done on a quarterly basis, biannual, annual? Typically, how is it done? It all depends on the, the REITs management and their board of trustees. So, you know, I think what you would see is most REITs over time will continue to grow their distribution. And that's a function of the unit price is also growing, right? The unit price grows because the property is generating more income. Well, if the property is generating more income, then there should be more cash to distribute out. So they kind of move in tandem over time. And so we talked about the yield, we talk about the NAV, we talk about how it's being paid. So let's talk a little bit about the stability of, of, those, of those yields. Now, in your case, you've mentioned since inception, so three years, I believe you said? That's right. Three uh, years. So, we finished three years in June. Right. So for three years, you've been very stable. And again, not necessarily your company, but for most REITs, do we expect volatility, very little volatility? What is it? It's just so that the audience get a sense of what type of product, how, how does it feel to own a REIT? I think you have to look differently at public REITs and private REITs, right? Because public REITs are subject to market sentiment. When everybody's concerned about the black swan event of the pandemic, uh, everything is going down and uh, public REITs also suffer. And, you know, when everybody's excited about the market, public REITs also go up just like everything else. So uh, public REITs are interesting because they trade differently. They trade at a, at a price, which can be a premium or discount to NAV. And so there's two separate concepts. NAV is the net asset value. That's what the actual buildings are worth divided by the number of units. That's your net asset value. And your REIT unit in a public context can trade above or below NAV. That's your fair market value premium or discount. Uh, when you look at a private REIT, that's where you get a lot more stability because the noise of what's happening in the market is eliminated, right? So in our case, you know, we, we look at the NAV, we get it, uh, 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 properties appraised by Cushman and Wakefield every quarter, and it's pretty stable, right? It's growing, but it's just growing along, creeping along. And, and that's where the fair market value is. So we don't have this kind of yo-yo effect. Investors know that it's just going to be a straight line kind of movement. The public REIT very much acts like a share that goes up and down. 
how much investors are willing to trade their shares today. Whereas a private REIT is me owning my house. I mean, my house will fairly stable, will either go up or go down, but it won't, it will not be a daily change type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a brand new investor, not sophisticated. I really like the idea of the REIT. Now I understand public REIT, I buy it on the public stock exchange, right? On the, on the, on the TSX, I go and I look for a, a public REIT. For example, Brookfield uh, is one of those public REITs. I, I look at Brookfield's ticker and I buy a few shares of that REIT. But a private REIT like yours, how do I access it? How do I buy it? What if I don't know Sanjo? Or, or what if I don't know the other principles of the other REITs? There may be, you know, 50 other REITs out there just in the GTA alone. How, if I don't know these guys, uh, how do I even go and buy them? And, and by the way, even if I know Sanjo, do I call you on a cell phone and say, hey, Sanjo, I want five units? Do I go through a line vest? Do I go through a broker? How is it done? Uh, very good question. So uh, most private REITs are sold by offering memorandum and they're only available to accredited investors. So, you know, there's a heightened level of investor sophistication required. Uh, you know, it's, it's not something because, uh, because of the illiquidity, because it's not, you know, you can't buy and sell wherever you want uh, and you can't buy and sell in small quantities. Uh, you have to be an accredited investor. There are very specific rules around accredited investors and what makes you eligible. The, the way to buy a unit is work through a dealer, an exempt market dealer or an IROC dealer. An IROC dealer is effectively you know, a, a bank dealer or a, an independent dealer. In most cases, our investors come in through the dealers. Uh, so they're investment advisors, they're portfolio managers. You know, If you came to me and said, Hey, I'm interested in buying, you know, buying your REIT. How do I do it? First question I would ask you is, do you work with an investment advisor? And the reason I would ask you that is I would then say, go ask your investment advisor and your investment advisor can help you. Most, you know, investment advisors have credentials, training, uh, and they can, they can help. They know you, you're, they, they have KYC or know your client obligations and they know us. That's their KYP or know, know your product requirements. What the investment advisor is required to do is make sure that our strategy is a good fit for you in your portfolio. And they would also be responsible for making sure that they've given, you know, considered alternatives. There are lots of private REITs out there. So the investment advisor is responsible for making sure that they are looking out for your best interests before making an allocation or investment in our private REIT. For, for the most part, what we do is we work very closely with investment advisors and portfolio market and portfolio managers almost all the banks, all the independent wealth management firms across Canada to, to encourage them to take a look at us, to, to make sure that we're available to their clients who they think it's a good fit for in their portfolios. And sometimes portfolio managers will set up their own internal models, right? So they will pick a basket of five or six private REITs or private and public REITs and offer to their clients as their real estate strategy. And what that means is they have already done the due diligence, they've talked to us, they understand who we are, and they allocate a piece of their real estate strategy or their model to us so that for all of their clients, it's kind of uniform uh, distribution across that client base. So what you're saying is typically the advisors would have 
quote unquote vetted your strategy, vetted your product, vetted your 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 services, and say this is some this is some company, some REIT that I would endorse. That's what they would be saying. Absolutely, it's actually so. It's it's a two part process. First, uh, first the firm has to approve us. Uh, so uh, almost all of the wealth management firms uh, have an approval group, approval department, product review committee. Uh, so they will go through all of our documents, our materials, look at who's on our board, who our service providers are, who's our management team. We have to provide them with an extensive due diligence questionnaire, uh, and then their committee will meet and approve us. Once we are approved, uh, then we are effectively on the shelf, and that means that uh, it's available to the investment advisors and portfolio managers at that firm. Then the advisor or the portfolio manager has to vet us and decide, are we a good fit for the clients that they, they service? I just want to summarize this a little bit for the audience, is that private REITs is part of private equity. It is not, it is not a stock or bond that you buy on the market. It's one of those alternative investments because you do have to go through a EMD, exempt market dealer, or you do have to go through a portfolio manager or these type of investment firms. So they are part of what I would call alternative investments. Uh, absolutely, it's an alternative investment. Uh, uh, basically, it's part of the, uh, any, any product that's sold by offering memorandum is, uh, is an exempt product and, uh, and that's where we fit in. For most REITs, and I would say uh, all of them, that you cannot access directly the REIT. You access them through a EMD, exempt market dealer. That's correct. Because we are talking about accredited investors, which is very different from your public investor. That's correct. So in your mind, when, when we talk about REITs, what are the pros of REITs? Now, we mentioned a few of them already. It's not as volatile. It doesn't move with the market. Uh, what other advantages do you see in REITs? One of the obvious advantages is it's easily easy to understand. Almost everybody understands how real estate works, right? It's You have a building, you know, land, building, you rent it out, you earn rental income, you pay your expenses, and there's money left over. It's not, you know, it's not a complicated investment. Like uh, you're not trading in some fancy technology or uh, some fancy, you know, from unproven pharmaceutical or a cryptocurrency. A REIT is, it's just base real estate. Now it could make money, it may lose money, but at the end of the day, for the average investor, at least you know what you're investing in, right? You can, you can touch and feel the building, right? It's, it's there, you know, any, any of our investors who are visiting Waterloo, I encourage them to go check one of our buildings out. We'll, we'll arrange a tour for you. And, you know, that, that's what really makes it a positive opportunity. And the flexibility of a REIT is that, uh, you know, it can be invested in uh, different types of accounts, right? So in Canada, we have non-registered accounts, we have RSPs, RESPs, TFSAs, and a REIT can be invested in any of those uh, types of accounts. So again, you know, you can achieve tax optimization, and you can make use of the capital you already have in one of your accounts. You also mentioned the word redeem many times, which means I can buy and sell when I want. So it's fairly liquid. Well, let, let's be careful about that, right? It's, uh, okay. Uh, there, there is liquidity, but, uh, but it's not many times. So in our case, 
subscriptions and redemptions are on a monthly basis. So at the beginning of each month, we allow investors to uh, come in and also to exit. Now, the challenge with a private REIT uh, is that we don't sit on cash, right? You as the investor want us to go invest the money before buy buildings. You know, if somebody wants to redeem, uh, we may or may not have all of the cash available to provide you with the funds. So while you can redeem out, there may be times where you have to wait until we've generated enough cash to be able to, to pay you back, right? So that's, the, that's one of the big challenges in a private REIT versus a public REIT. In a private REIT, because you're dealing directly with the manager, I don't have the cash, right? If somebody comes to me today with a, with a massive redemption order, uh, the only way I can get that cash is there's two ways. One is I can raise more money from other investors. Uh, so, you know, go, go take in more subscriptions or sell or refinance one of our buildings, which may take some time. Uh, and so the redemptions are available, but it's, uh, it's very, uh, very limited. Yeah. So in, in our case, just to give you some numbers, in our case, redemptions are limited to $250,000 per month. You know, that allows most investors, if they need some liquidity, an opportunity to get some cash quickly. And, and it also gives us the ability to know how much cash do we need to maintain at any given time to manage the pending redemptions, right? Uh, and then there are also early redemption penalties, right? This is not a strategy where we want people trading in and out every month. So we discourage short-term traders. We make it known to everybody that this is uh, a longer term strategy. And if your time, term, time horizon is less than three years, this is probably not a good fit for you uh, as an investment. And to discourage short-term trading, we have early redemption penalties. So definitely not as liquid as a public REIT, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that we've talked about the pros, let's just maybe uh, spend a little bit of time on the con. So I, I guess, look, you're uh, it's, it's almost like any other investment class, right? You're still subject to what's happening in the capital markets. In the case of a REIT, uh, you know, some of the biggest variables that affect the performance of a REIT are interest rates, right? Uh, you know, in a rising interest rate environment, uh, that means that REITs that are refinancing their mortgages will have to pay more in interest expense. And that means there's less cash available for the investor. So that's kind of issue one. Uh, you know, there's the sector specific risk. So, you know, in our case, we do student housing. What if every university went online and students never had to come back? Our business is dead. You know, you think about what's happening right now. There's a lot of economists talking about inflation in the environment. And, uh, you know, real estate is seen as a, as a good, invasion, in, uh, good investment in an inflationary environment. Uh, but you look at some of the uh, sectors within real estate, if you think about uh, you know, commercial sectors like office space, retail, uh, industrial, usually the landlords are doing five and 10 year leases. Uh, and so if, if inflation is rampant, the leases are going to end up being below market. Uh, similarly, in Canada, almost every jurisdiction has rent control. Uh, so if you look at a multifamily residential lease, you know, if you're a landlord of, a, of an apartment building or a condo unit uh, and there's inflation, that means your tenants are going to be at below market rents for quite some time. So, you know, those are things that you have to think about and manage around. As an investor, you always have to be uh, mindful of what it is you're investing in and what is the exposure. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of exposure that you have to be careful about. It's not, while it is bricks and mortar uh, that you're investing in, uh, who is actually filling it? 
And that's what you have to be mindful of as a real estate investor. Uh, I just want to spend a little bit of uh, maybe of time on uh, fees. So in comparison to other type of investment assets, how do the fees in, in REITs go? Uh, are they typically higher than uh, a mutual fund? How do they fit in comparison to an ETF? Uh, yeah, so when you look at the private REIT market, I think, uh, I think investors need to do some diligence because the fees are all over the place, quite frankly. Uh, some REITs will charge an upfront fee and charge an ongoing management fee and charge acquisition fees. Uh, and financing fees, and, and those fees start to add up. So you as an investor uh, have to pay attention and do some diligence. And that's, look, that's quite frankly why you should work with a sophisticated investment advisor. Uh, but it is something that you know, investors have to pay attention to the details and make sure that the manager that they are placing their capital with has an aligned fee structure. And uh, it's not just the manager making all the money at the expense of the investor. Thank you for clarifying how the fee structure works. And I guess what uh, I got out of that is truly understand the product, truly understand the REIT. It's really, truly understanding what REIT, how, when, and uh, what type of compensation the managers get. So, and, and not all REITs are structured the same way. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. You have to, you have to do, uh, as an investor, you have to do your due diligence and understand uh, what you know, what the strategy of the read is, what the track record of the manager is, what the fee structure is, and what the performance is going to be. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a great conversation. Before I let you go, is there something burning on your chest that you would want to tell our audience about REITs in general? Something you must say before we leave this conversation. You know, REITs uh, REITs are an asset class that provides good diversification from your regular stocks, bonds, fixed income. And it's a core component of most investors' portfolio. And if it isn't, it should be. Okay, now that now that we have a better understanding of REITs and what REITs are all about, I, I hope that my listeners will consider sometimes REITs uh, and see if it's part of their strategy uh, and, and a way to diversify their investment portfolio. So I, I don't know how to say uh, th- more. Thank you, Sanjo. It's been it's been amazing, and uh, I I have personally benefited um, immensely from your knowledge and your wisdom. So thank you very much today. Thanks for having me on. Well, there you have it. We now the complete lowdown of what REITs are and how one can use a REIT as part of their portfolio, and I really want to thank Sanjo for spending that time with us and going really deep into this topic. I really want to remind the listeners about my September 17 all-day interactive workshop. And again, it's this September 17. It's an all-day workshop where we do it on Zoom. And it's about personal financial literacy. It will cover basics. But more than that, we will cover a lot more than basics. And it really depends on where the discussion goes with the uh, attendees. Really, it's about what would yourself 30 years from now tell you right now so that you don't make the mistakes and learn about it only 30 years later. If you are interested, come and register on www.beautifultimesinc.ca forward slash conference and workshops.
I always want to hear from my audience and from my listeners. So if you have any comments, any feedback, or you want to see episodes on a specific topic, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com and I'd be really glad to hear from you. This episode is sponsored by AlignVest Student Housing REIT, ASH REIT is a private REIT focused on consolidating the highly fragmented purpose-built student accommodation sector in Canada. Over three years, Ash REIT acquired 10 high-quality properties with 4,200 beds valued at $550 million. Ash REIT has a proven track record and demonstrated resiliency and stability through the pandemic delivering an annualized return of 10.5% to investors, including an attractive tax-efficient distribution of 5.3% paid monthly. If you want additional information, it's available at alignveststudenthousing.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.